0: Mark Stratham, how you doing, buddy? Great to have you on, mate.
1: Thank you very much, mate. I do appreciate it. I'm good. How are you?
0: Not too bad at all. Thanks, mate. Not too bad at all. Um, Man, I'm just going to try and play your own game here, right? Because you did an awesome training for my clients, man, which was phenomenal, so powerful. And, you know, Mark's going to explain himself now in terms of his background and stuff. But obviously, you're an online transformation coach just like myself, And you know, your training was mind blowing, mates. But um, I'm gonna play you on on your own question, right? A question that you asked my clients on your presentation. So, uh, to get it started, who is Mark (laughs) Straffen?
1: I do answer this a little bit differently to to other people, um, which kind of comes across weird to others because I think you know, like when you're trying to grow, when you're trying to create a a different environment for yourself one that's far more congruent with your highest values and one that allows you to really like step up as the individual you want to be you have to be different from other people and then therefore because you've got that differentiation people look at you a little bit weird so I don't like to think of myself just purely as like one thing obviously you said I'm a, an online transformation coach but I don't like to think of myself purely as that I don't like to think of myself purely as like a partner or a son or a brother like Of course we wear these hats on a daily basis but I don't want to think of myself just purely as these things just because I feel as though when we place too much of our identity into a specific area of our life, a lot of the time that can be very very damaging because it's almost like putting your eggs in one basket. So I like to think of myself more off the back of my qualities as an individual rather than purely what I do, because I feel as if you measure yourself on your qualities, it means that you're very adaptable in different situations. So if I had to describe myself as a strong, resilient, dynamic, diverse, determined individual who consistently aims to level up in all areas of his life and produce the very best version of himself on a daily basis, regardless of the elements and and the influences around him trying to say otherwise that allows me to really kind of, let's just say pivot under different stresses, because that's all the life is, it's it's different stressors, but when you start to perceive a stress that's damaging to you, because you place your identity so much on one thing, it means that your self-worth can be challenged at times, and if that self-worth is measured fully on how well you can do in a specific area, and that area is then controlled by other people, then there's a shit, shit storm coming your way. It's almost like when parents measure themselves mainly on being parents, if you had to ask a, a parent, you know what, who are you? And they're like, you know what, I'm a mum of four beautiful boys. Okay, who else are you? Oh, that's really who I am. That's where they place their identity. But there can be a lot of turmoil through that. Don't get me wrong, there can be a lot of happiness. But it means that when the highs are highs, you're high. But when the lows are low, you're fucking really low. Um, and you always kind of go between those almost like a yo-yo. It's very much like coaches, mate, you'll know this yourself, like Mm -hmm. coaches can measure their worth on the success of their clients. And as a result, coaches are up and down like fucking yo-yos because you can't control other people. You can't Mm -hmm. control other people's actions, decisions, behaviours. You can only try and influence them in a positive way. So I don't like to think of myself as someone with a label. I like to think more so of myself with my qualities because then that allows me to safeguard myself and make sure that I'm always safe against other people. So if I do something wrong as a partner, I don't place all of my worth there, so I don't, I don't low. you know what I mean? I yeah. think to myself, well, how can this strong, resilient individual become a little bit more dynamic here and how can I do something better to be a better fiance in the future? Mm. Same with a son, right? Well, if I done something shit as a son, right? I'm not gonna beat myself up because I don't measure myself on how good a son I am. I'm gonna look at how I can make that better again in the future. So. It's just trying to develop your growth mindedness through looking at your qualities more than just kind of placing your worth on the labels that you wear on a daily basis or the hats that you wear
0: on a daily basis. I love that. I love that. Yeah. You explained that really, really well because, uh, you know, when it comes to identity and and the way we think on a daily basis, uh, people don't really tap into that, you know, when it comes to getting into shape, for example, right? So just talk us through a bit more, um, kind of two questions in one really, Mark, in terms of your background, right? Uh, just a bit more about your history, because I know we've we've got some similar kind of you know common ground in terms of you know bodybuilding, having coached so many people as well. Obviously, we both struggled with a binge eating disorder at one time as well. Um, but just talk us through your journey, you know, with just in general, just having coached so many people, your career as a as a coach, and having transitioned into building you know an awesome online coaching program. I know you've got like eighty clients online now. Um, so just talk us through a bit more about you and your journey and. Basically, how you, how you have transferred what you've learned, your struggles, your lessons, into helping people, you know, upgrade their identity and, and get into killer shape. Because some of your transformations are just insane, mate. <laughs>
1: Thank you, mate. Thank you. Um, where to start? I'm probably best actually starting back in childhood. So I never really knew that I wanted to be a coach. I never really knew what I wanted to be Um When I was really young, I was diagnosed with a speech impediment from a very early age. So I didn't really have a lot of friends because I couldn't communicate well. I didn't take part in sport because I couldn't communicate well because no one wants a kid in a team that they can't can't make out. Um, Because when I opened my mouth, literally, it was like gibberish coming out. People really, really struggled to understand what I said. And that was quite difficult in the early early years, kind of between the ages of maybe three and ten because I used to look at people and I used to look at them out of admiration at all of the things that they had that I didn't have. So when it comes to identity, there's things known as ego beliefs and ego beliefs are basically things that you live by to stop you living by true passion and purpose. So when I was younger and I was going through this this pretty tough time because I didn't really have any friends, I was getting bullied quite a lot as well because I was different, which I think happens to every kid that's a little bit different from what would be perceived as the normal. Um, so I was getting a lot like not only just verbal abuse but also physical abuse from like older kids and stuff and as a result of that I always used to look at the kids who were even doing the bullying at times and I would admire them in a strange way because they had all the things that I didn't really have they were good at sports they had loads of friends like I was void of those things and an ego belief one of the ego beliefs that a lot of people live by is that you are measured on what you do not have so I used to measure myself on everything I didn't have I was void of Everything that I felt like I wanted in life, because I wasn't able to speak, I wasn't able to to portray myself well or hold myself well in kind of social social situations and social circles. Um, even at school, I wasn't the brightest because from a very very early age, like teachers and stuff, basically said, you know what, because you can't can uh, speak, the likelihood of you being able to then articulate yourself well as well through things like writing mm-hmm. and things like um, your your academics, like long term. Is very very low so they used to kind of speak to my parents quite frequently and say like he's going to live a bit of an average life like he's not really going to be destined for anything more than average and you need to kind of you need to like come to terms with that because i don't want you guys getting your hopes up that he's going to be able to come out the other end stronger so it's like what everyone does in common culture people just fucking play down like what you can achieve because it's the safety mechanism it's like your let's not shoot too high because that could be dangerous so we'll just stay here and kind of common ground and make them feel a bit safer and so that they don't feel let down because of their high expectations you see that not only like with teachers talking to parents about their children but you see that in sports for example you see that even in your own coaching programs like you'll have a client and their husbands or their wives or their family are telling them not to try too hard because they might fail and that is almost a guarantee in the failure anyway mm. so when I, was, when I was growing up I was going through a lot of this kind of physical and uh, kind of verbal abuse, mental abuse to some extent as well but as that kid being alone the majority of my younger years like I truly knew who I was, I was very kind, very compassionate, I was very determined, a lot of my kind of pain was comforting to some degree because I didn't really know any different. So I was always brought up like learning to be a bit more dynamic through pain and I really do think that's what's kind of got me to the point I am today because I think when people live a privileged life and they don't expose themselves to any form of suffering, that's where the issues start with being able to go after goals because you don't understand failure, you don't understand pain, you don't understand suffering, you don't understand adversity at all, whereas if you've been through a lot of pain and suffering, whether that be physically, mentally, or emotionally, you become more adaptive to it. It's like anything, it's like training is a series of stimulation and adaptation. The more you expose yourself to that, the more robust you you then become. But essentially, as you guys now know, I can speak. <laughs> so Very um, well, mate. I, Very well. Yeah. So I'm I'm here speaking to you today. So obviously I learned how to speak. I learned how to articulate myself well through um, speech, writing, and sort of copy, for example. Um, even through through my mannerisms, like the way that I hold myself, like I was able to learn more about the body language and how that fuels communication. So communication is actually a very, very high value of mine now. So is leadership, so is teaching, so is learning, mainly because I was void of all of that stuff when I was younger. So that's what I want the listeners to understand as well. Is like, if you have values now as an adult, it's usually what you were void of as a child. So if you had a poor childhood and your mum and dad potentially didn't give you the attention, the love that you really wanted, And you now value family massively. You're always in search of family. That's because you value it from being void of it when you were younger. So as I started to get into my kind of teenage years, going to high school, I then was polar opposite to the way that I was in primary school. I admired these individuals that essentially bullied me because they had everything I thought I wanted. And especially going into high school as well, they were even better with the girls and stuff. And, you know, growing up, having not even really spoken to men <laughs> like yeah. me speaking to women was like phew, it just seemed it seemed so scary it seemed so scary because i wasn't even accepted by like guy friends a lot of the time because they couldn't understand me and they always kind of bullied me and stuff so then going to high school and like wanting to speak to girls was just like honestly it was one of the scariest things like i think i've ever encountered <laughs> but no. Yeah. They, they, they they, were all good with the girls, good at sports, good at academics and all of that sort of stuff. But I did start to realise that these people didn't have something that I had. I realised that I did have a skill set that was different because whenever they weren't winning at sports, whenever they weren't getting the girls, whenever they weren't doing well in academics, they were almost like imploding to a degree. They were like mm-hmm. going inside themselves. They were getting really frustrated, really disappointed, really down. Whereas within pain and challenge and suffering and failure, I'm very calm because it's what I know so well. But that didn't stop me from becoming distracted and influenced by kind of common culture. So, when I was in high school and I'd been void of all of these things when I was younger, I confused admiration for inspiration. Now, if people don't know the difference, admiration is basically you looking at other people's lives thinking that you would like to have what they have. It's almost like if someone said to you, Would you like to have a million or would you not like to have a million? It's like, Of course, I would like to have a million. Like, (laughs) who would like to have a million? No brainer. but are, you, but are you truly working towards wanting a million? Is a million value to you? Mm. Or do you just like the sound of it? You know what I mean? So yeah, 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 totally. Admiration, the way that I like to think of it, like going back to school terms, because people will be able to understand it so well. When you look up to a crowd of people and you think that you're inspired by them and you want to be like them and you want to be a part of what they have, you finally get to that point. And then when you spend time with those individuals, you actually think to yourself, these people aren't, as cool as i thought they were <laughs> they're not as nice as i thought they were i don't get why everyone looks up to these people because this is a bad of a letdown mm. but because they've got the status they essentially still kind of rule the roost and hold the the power over you to some degree because mm. everyone does follow the herd and go against or doesn't go against sorry the common culture of seeking status Especially when you're at school, like one of your your most prevalent human instincts when you're a teenager, especially in early adolescence, is the drive to want to be a part of something. So I started spending time with these people, finally, after being void of it for so long. But I didn't actually like spending time with them. I didn't actually like being around them. I didn't really like who they were. And I didn't like who I was becoming as a result. It was becoming too much of a habit for me. And that kind of spiraled for a very long time over the years of between maybe 13 to 17, and I'm not too sure if you've ever experienced being very unauthentic, but when you're very unauthentic, people can read you like a book. They Mm -hmm. know that that's not who you truly are, that you're trying too hard to fit in, and when you start to emulate the behaviors of people you admire, you're not emulating the behaviors of someone you would truly want to be. You just come across cocky, arrogant, and you just come across, like I said, unauthentic. So Mm -hmm. when you're looking at admiration, and you're thinking that you would like to have the things that these people have, but then realize it's not really for you, that's when you should have that feedback as to why you shouldn't spend time with those individuals anymore. Whereas inspiration is basically, when you know if you had to sit at a dinner table or go out for a drink with someone that you've looked up to and you're mesmerized by them, when you're like, you know what, I want everything that you have. I wanna be able to speak like you, I wanna be able to show up like you, I want to be relentless like you, I want to like build the lifestyle you've built because it's so in accordance with your highest values, because admiration a lot of the time isn't in accordance with your highest values. So I kind of took it too far because it became habitual to the point where I actually started turning into the kids that I was bullied by almost when I was younger. Not that I was a bully, I was always still very compassionate, so I wasn't bullying anyone, but I just wasn't being a nice person. I wasn't like picking on anyone specifically, but when I went out, I would get into fights. And I would just, I would just drink too much, take too much recreational drugs, which would then kind of falter my my mannerisms and make me act in a way that I didn't really like to act. And then it got to a point where I actually ended up um, going to court and nearly going to jail for something that, you know what, I actually didn't do, I was part of, but I didn't actually do anything. And after that, I realized, you know what, like things have to change. Like you need to go back to being yourself instead of trying to follow the crowd here, because if you keep doing what you're doing, essentially this is going to drive you down a path of a path of misery and you're going to come out the other end in a far worse position than you probably could have ever thought. It was almost like a signal at that point. Like if you don't stop now, you're probably going to end up in jail at some point. So after that, I remember stepping off the podium and I remember saying to myself, you know what, I'm just going to work on myself for For the rest of my life, to be perfectly honest. Like at that point, I didn't really see it as the rest of my life. I just saw it as I'm going to take some time to focus on me. And it's just kind of snowballed. It's been a bit of a domino effect. Um, I fell into coaching then, maybe what, three years after that, because the way that I started serving myself was I started going to the gym. Really liked it, built some muscles, gave me direction, stopped drinking, kind of cut off friends that really didn't serve me. What I would describe as friends then, but definitely not looking back now. They weren't friends, they were just associates. And then, once i got into coaching, because I'd spent so much time alone and working on myself, there was still a bit of uncertainty in my life because I felt like there was always something missing. Even though I knew that I shouldn't go back to living the way that I was living, I always felt like there must be more to me in my life than me just spending the time on my own all the time. Like I need to try and be part of something, but I'd created too much of a boundary so that I wouldn't expose myself to hurt like that again or expose myself to maybe life-changing circumstances again and then when I got to coaching I then thought to myself right well I want to be the best at, at at coaching which obviously now I know is a very hard thing to do because there's so many coaches but I just follow my own values and try and be the best for me but at that point I translated that to I need to be in the best possible shape to be the best coach which you and I know is absolute bollocks 100%, 100%. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong, I do think there's a key part of it in there that you need to be able to look after yourself. You need to be in good shape because I think that your body image does reflect how much you look after yourself. And if you're mm-hmm. preaching personal standards to people, then I think the likelihood of them actually listening to you about those personal standards drives down. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and compete in a physique competition and the want to be the best realistically came from me not playing in sports when I was younger. That's where it came from. And I know that's where it came from. So I was like, you know what? Like I want to be the best at this. So I dieted for 20 weeks. So you could probably say that my self-worth was still measured on the other people's opinions of me at that time because I was trying to break away from the chains of that that i went through in my teenage years. And I still felt like I had something to prove. It was always still kind of externally driven. So I went through 20 weeks of dieting, got absolutely shredded, I was in great shape. To be honest, I think I should have won that show, but I didn't. (laughs) And after doing 20 weeks of strict dieting and then going up on stage to then be told within three minutes that you're not good enough, when your self-worth is measured and your identity is measured on what other people think of you, you can only just imagine how much my self-worth plummeted even further through the floor. And self-worth is hugely correlated to um, eating disorders, and that's where the binge eating disorder came from. So the binge eating disorder came from me, Dieting for the wrong reasons, essentially, that's what it was. And too many people do this. Too many people diet for the wrong reasons. They do it for outwardly reasons, sorry, inwardly reasons instead of outwardly reasons. And what I mean by that is you obviously have external variables that people kind of misconstrue as outwardly reasons. But when you do things for inwardly reasons, it means that you're in a victim mentality almost. Like you're trying to do things because you think that it's unfair that you're not in shape. You think that it's unfair that everyone else can do things easier than you you think it's unfair that you were given like hardship and other people seem to do it very very easily you think um, it's unfair that other people are more genetically enhanced than you whereas when you're doing things for outwardly reasons you're doing things for not other people so to speak but you're showing up as the best version of yourself because you know that you can influence and impact lives positively for a higher meaning than just having abs so like, I know that my personal standards, me being in great shape, allows me to show up the best for my clients. So that holds me accountable. So when you're doing things for these kind of inwardly reasons, because you went into victim victimhood almost, and you're trying to go through a process of change, and you're trying to diet, you're basically trying to punish yourself to happiness. That's what, that's what you're trying to do, and you're never going to find happiness through punishment. You'll always find peace through suffering and pain, but you'll never find happiness through through punishment. So after I get told that I wasn't good enough from uh, a judge that obviously didn't know how that would impact me or influence me, I had a lot of like, hate and anger towards them. That's what happens when you're doing things inwardly. Yeah, I was better. exactly the
0: same. Exactly the same, yeah.
1: You blame other people. It's like
0: that fucking... Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you're literally, you're getting judged on people by based on people's opinions, right? Literally, they're telling you, you know, fifth place or whatever, whether or not you brought the best condition to the stage in terms of your physique, or you were the best on stage is irrelevant, because it's a completely subjective sport, right? So yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, it's and then obviously you do, like you said, when it comes to your self worth, then it's just cemented in right that low self esteem, because you're being critiqued against other people. And like for me, for example, I was told, you know, you need to bring your shoulders up, your shoulders aren't in proportion. Then it was like your legs. So like all these kind of deep seated issues you had as a, you know, because a lot of the times we get into lifting weights and stuff like that. Some of that is stemmed from insecurities anyway, right? So for me, it was like skinny legs. And then that that's just kind of multiplied. And then as you say, what you turn to then? Like most people when you're feeling low is, you know, food, isn't it? You turn to food and then that can easily get out of hand. But no, sorry, mate, you were saying, because I think it's an interesting topic about, you know, slow self-worth, that uh, correlation between low self-worth and binge eating, because you actually brought it to my attention and made me more aware. I haven't actually looked deeply into why I was binge eating for pretty much the same amount of time as you, maybe 18 months uh, in between bodybuilding comps. And now after you mentioned it, I was like, wow, yeah, actually, mentally, I wasn't in a good place then. You know, I didn't feel good. I was, as you say, I was doing too much partying and stuff like that, ruining my body and constantly trying to escape on the weekends, whether that's food or alcohol or whatever else. Um, so yeah, it's an interest in how the mind works in it when it comes to self-worth and, and you know, obviously, as you say, what people say, words, you know, people, mum used to say, you know, six and stones break bones, but names never hurt you. What a lot of bullshit that was, Mark, eh?
1: <laughs> absolute bullshit. <absolute, absolute, laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think everyone is hurt by words the most. Like I have broke loads of words in my life and, that was far less painful than the thing 100%. But 100%. The journey of rehabilitating yourself worth realistically comes down to you trying to break away from these ego beliefs. So like an ego belief is, like I kind of said before, one of them is that you measure yourself on what you do not have. Another one is that you measure yourself on the opinions of other people. Another one is that you measure your, your, yourself on what you have. So like I think we all know those kind of people on Instagram that have like the best Handbags, the best watches, the biggest houses, the nicest cars. Like if you had to strip that away from them, you can tell straight away that they would probably go plummeting through the floor because they wouldn't know they wouldn't know how to go about the business because they've always been known as that person that has the nice stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Completely external, like you said, it's an an exterior thing, right? Internally, they haven't actually got that fulfillment, right? Because they haven't, as you said, you know, you put however many years now into working and investing into yourself, right? Working on yourself. A lot of people, you know, that's that's not an easy road, right? And people think that happiness. Comes elsewhere, man.
1: Yeah, 100%. It just kind of comes back to the whole thing like within coaching, it's like instant versus delayed gratification. Like we see it a lot with clients that just go to food for comfort, for example, alcohol for comfort, like they don't exercise, they'll sit in front of Netflix for hours at a time. That same thing is correlated in, in real life. So when you are struggling with low self worth and you're feeling quite insignificant in your own life and you're not feeling like you have the best relationship with yourself. Humans are very intuitive, so what we'll do is we will go out and seek what we cannot get from ourselves. It's almost like when people come to us for coaching, they don't have the knowledge, they understand until like, actually go through the process, so they come for help. So we are very intuitive with looking elsewhere for what we don't have. And one of the troubling things, and I think the most common things with people that have low self-worth, and if you're listening and you didn't realise you had low self-worth before, this will probably ring true to you. Individuals who can't sit at peace and spend time on their own, people that always need to be around others, People that always need to increase the expectation of themselves by going the extra mile for other people, people that always put other people before themselves and take too much on and stretch themselves too thin, are doing that because they are seeking the love and the validation from other people that they cannot give to themselves. But the difficulty with that, like I said at the start, is if you're placing your self worth and your identity in the basket of that expectation someone may have of you, then you are setting yourself up for disaster because how many times have you done something for someone because you wanted them to turn around and go "Thank you so much, like you're incredible. Thank you so much for doing that. Like yep. you're the best." Like
0: validation, absolutely.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think we've all been there. And then what happens when you've ran about silly after someone you've done everything for them and then they just turn around and go "Oh, cheers"? It's exactly. almost like it's almost like what
0: you on, like.
1: You, you feel so insignificant. But yep. do you know what then happens? You realise that they have power over you. So you then continue to do it. You continue to do more because it's like, I want a validation. So like, obviously I'm not good enough because what I've done is not good enough for the validation I want. So I'm going to do more. It's like people in relationships, like people don't realize how dysfunctional their relationships are until things like this are spoke about. Because people only have the same level of thinking that they always have. And if they don't have awareness brought to their life that things are not right, then they'll never realize because people in relationships like I take clients on board and they're like yeah my boyfriend like always calls me like unattractive so I'm really trying to like get in better shape so like he thinks me attractive and I'm like so you're doing this for your boyfriend the person that's supposed to love you to tell you that you're attractive and he doesn't tell you that currently do you think that's a healthy relationship but like it just goes to show the extent of what they're now seeking out to be Mm. validated by them Mm. to be accepted by them but that's just narcissism narcissism and it's manipulative and that issue doesn't lie with the person who is now trying to transform themselves for someone else that lies with the person that's got the issue that can't compliment the person that they love and this is where low self-worth really it's why it's never going to be completely healed so to speak in the world it's always going to be an issue because when you're made to feel that you're not good enough off of someone you don't think they're the problem you think you're the problem Mm. And you consistently will see that until you've done the work in yourself. It'll always be a you thing. It will always be like an inward thing. It'll always be victimhood. And it'll always be that it's you that's the problem. But it'll never be... It'll never be them. Mm. It'll always just be that you love them and you'll always overestimate and you'll always over-exaggerate the good things that they do. So they might say one nice thing to you every three months and you're like, oh yeah, he does give me compliments or she does give me compliments. Mm. Or they might do something terrible, but you you kind of play down how bad it really was because you're trying to conform to the bias that they're not bad people because you're trying to seek validation from them. So you almost like mold a distorted reality in your mind of these people so that you can continue to put work in to try and get validated from them. But really all of these signs means that you should fucking run because
0: Mm.
1: it's not the relationship that I would say you need to run from. It's the fact that that individual is going to relinquish your power from you and just totally strap away your identity and your self-worth, which takes far longer to rebuild than it does to give up a relationship that's given warning signs of going ex- exceedingly downhill.
0: Mm. I think that's such a good point, man. Some of this stuff you're talking about is so important for people to hear because you know you you don't know what you don't know, basically, right? You know, like this 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 awareness on self worth and self compassion. I mean, you've you taught me a lot a lot about this myself, you know, because obviously you know we're part of like a, a elite coaching program, right? And, you know, people think that we just kind of people look at like before and afters or they look at someone's video testimonial. Well, when they see a video testimonial, I think that's why they're so powerful. I think people can relate when someone's talking about what they've achieved, people actually normally realize that actually how they look is really just a byproduct. You know, they're feeling great, they're performing better because they've actually worked on themselves and you've taken them through a journey of actually changing the way they think which is the most important thing. So I wanted to ask you, Mark, in terms of your, what separates, what do you think separates your clients that you take on that excel really fast, um, that get much better results? And, you know, because you talk a lot about the victim mentality, and, you know, this is something I'm really in tune with now as well, because we've all played the victim at some point, right? Uh, But as you say, a lot of people, they stay stuck there, right? They stay stuck in that victim uh, mindset. And unless they actually, put the work in on themselves and, and start changing the way they think and implementing some of the stuff you coach them through, they're always going to be stuck there, right? So just talk me through what separates the really successful clients who really get insane results and the ones that kind of maybe not get left behind, but the ones that just don't excel or just don't get the results they want. Yeah. I know you Thanks. always get results, right? Because I know you wouldn't take them on nowadays unless you get the, unless it's the right person, but you know yeah. what I mean? Out of all the hundreds of people you've coached, just curious.
1: I would say self-belief is a big thing, but that also comes down to like victimhood and past experiences. I think a lot of people don't quite realize that a lot of people have been through quite a lot of pain and suffering and don't understand the real reason why people want to go through transformations. And that's what my role and responsibility is. So you could probably argue that when I actually get to the root core reason as to why people want to go through this change, I actually then identify whether or not it's going to be healthy for them. To go through the transformation, or if the transformation will actually impact their self worth even more. Because as coaches, we need to prescribe something to clients that's not going to leave them in a worse position than we found them. And I think a lot of the time, it takes a lot of work initially to help the individual to then be able to be in a place where they can transform the body. So, a lot of the time, what separates the clients that just hit the ground running and do some seriously good work in the initial stages versus those that take some time, I would say is that the individuals that put the work in really are at rock ball. They are like, you know what, I don't have the mental capacity to stay stuck here for any longer. I can't handle anymore. So it's almost like when the pain of staying the same becomes worse than the pain of change. Mm. That's literally the point that they're at. Whereas when people come into my program that don't have the ground running, it's usually because we need to do quite a bit of work in the initial few months to actually rebuild their self-esteem, their self-belief, their self-worth. And that only comes from you giving them very, very small targets on a daily or weekly basis. It's not asking them to hit, like, huge amounts of steps, cardio, like, training across the course of the week, like, totally revamping their nutrition, like, making them stick to, like, a meal plan. Like, it's literally small, small changes. So it's like, you know what, your target this week is just to make sure you hit 6,000 steps every day. Mm. Because they're not hitting, they're hitting 1,000 steps just now
0: you so got to like, meet them exactly where they are. And that's where a good coach like myself and you have had so much experience coaching people, you just got to meet them where they're at, right? And I think this is where so many people go wrong, right? Try and change everything at once and throw the kitchen sink in. But basically, what you're alluding to is the ones who get the, get the results not only faster, but you know, really get after it, like you say, and never look back, uh, are the ones who uh, generally, they're aware of the fact that what they're going to change now, you're changing things which they can sustain forever, right? I think that's yeah. where people go wrong with health and fitness is like people want, you know, I'm sure you get this with clients, right? When they start off with you, they've gone from doing no sessions and you're like, right, how many sessions do you reckon you can commit to a week now going forward? I'll do six. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You're like, whoa, 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 slow down. What's the bare minimum, right? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the best place to start, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, the kids.
1: Self worth is like there's a few different components to self worth, and one of them is perfectionism. So perfectionism, and this is where I think that it's about the double edged sword. I said to to someone a couple of weeks ago, and it really sparked a light bulb moment for them. I said, right, so you compare yourself to a perfectionist, and you say that that's what you are. But do you not think that if you are really a perfectionist, that you would treat yourself perfectly, that you would speak to yourself well, that you would show up for yourself well? And they were just like never thought of it that way and I was like yeah because you're a perfectionist and when you don't get things perfect you throw in the towel and it's almost like shit's hit the fan do you think if you were perfect that's how you would act? she was like oh my god no so I'm not a perfectionist I was like exactly you're not a perfectionist because if you were a perfectionist you would be a perfectionist in every fucking area not just the ones that you choose so when it comes to perfectionism like self-worth basically means that when you have a small slip up you think it's a huge failure so if you're comparing yourself to other people that are doing six sessions, you're doing five sessions, is isn't good enough. You need to be doing six because that other person that you compare yourself to is. And that's where it's damaging because even when people come through the door as well and you need to meet them where they're at and they're not making progress as quick as other people in the program because they're actually perceiving success to be the body. And this is where it's really important to understand that success isn't the end outcome of the body. Success is a state. It's a state that you can find where you are mentally, emotionally and physically aligned with your highest values and when people are trying to go through that initial transition to rebuild their self-worth and they're seeing other people progress with their bodies because they're progressing with themselves it can almost distract them from doing the work in themselves because it just reminds them that they should be doing the work in the body and that the body's going to bring them happiness when it won't so it can be quite a a roller coaster journey because they are always going to look at the body and see that as what success is Mm. and because they will then compare themselves to other people's surface levels. So like, if someone pops in my group, a transformation picture, it's almost like, oh, well, how can they be there after six months and I'm not there? Mm. Well, they didn't have X, Y, and Z issues. Stop comparing your entire life to someone else's surface level. Mm. And she looks like that as a byproduct of the work she done on herself, the same work that we're trying to get you to do in yourself. Mm. So until you do that work and stop looking at it like you are just now through that negative lens, nothing's going to change. So I need you to surrender that that attitude to me and just do exactly what I say but that's the difficult thing because when people do have low self-worth and they've usually been hurt before they don't want other people to take control so even regardless if people have reached out to us or not paid us money to come on the program sometimes they can be so resistant to what we tell them Mm -hmm. because their danger response is so ingrained in them through past experiences that they can't fully trust us to make the decisions for them and that's why the trust needs to be built over a significant amount of time. Like I've had people, it's a six month minimum sign up for my program. Yep. Very similar to yours. Yep. And I've had people that haven't made one ounce of body progress in six months, but see the body progress that's they made in the next six months because of the work in the initial six months is mind blowing. Hundred percent. So it's more so about understanding that the minute that you start something doesn't mean that you need to get the quickest results. It means that you need to put the relevant work in to build strong and stable foundations to then be able to get the best results long-term.
0: I love that, mate. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that as well because that literally is it for some people because what, what they don't realize, and I'm sure you communicate this to people because you're up front just like I am, right? Like you have to be, you have to tell people, you know, what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And, you know, you'll say to them, well, in reality, okay, 90 days, you're laying the foundations, right, for most people anyway, but six months, some people may have been yo-yo dieting or following fad diets or, you know, just basically chasing their tail and not getting anywhere with where they want to go over the last, say, decade or more, and then, you know, six months is nothing really, right? If you think about it, you're basically reversing a lot of damage that you've done over X amount of time, right? So, and also, I just wanted to, to ask you on that note as well, in terms of like metrics to measure success, right? Because as you say, right, everyone's different. Some people, six months, they might not make that much uh, changes with their body, but they're implementing it and cementing in habits, changing the way they think. And as you say, then when they, when they actually do take off then and the body starts responding because you've laid the foundations, the results then from six months, six to 12 can be, you know, out of this world. Right. But you know, everyone is different. But um, you said recently that something like 99% of your clients, you don't even get them to weigh, right? Which I do that with a lot of clients as well because people place way too much value for the most part on the scales. So just talk us through, A, how you get such game-changing results with your clients without getting most of them to weigh and then B, what are the metrics that you like to get people to pay attention to? Because I'm constantly hammering this home to people. You have to focus on the important health markers, right? You have to focus on, you know, your energy levels, your mood. You have to focus on your sleep quality. These are the things that you really want to pay attention to if you want, you know, great results short-term, but mainly long-term, right? Yeah, 100%. So obviously,
1: when it comes to the skills, the reason why people hate the skills so much is because it reminds them of the work that they haven't done realistically that is right and if you're using that as a consistent marker for someone that's not putting the work in because they're not able to put that work in yet of course they're going to feel down so I will have clients weigh that are in a far better mental and emotional state that I know put the work in so I weigh them more frequently than I weigh other people the difficulty though sometimes is that some people can then hide behind the scales thinking that you won't know that they're they're not making progress almost right so this is the very difficult thing so it's like okay if you've got someone that's twenty stone, obviously it's very important that they lower their body weight, not just through, through wanting to look good, but their overall health. They're literally taking years off their life being in that size. But if you're twenty stone to start with, that surface level problem goes to show how deep rooted the other problems are, because you're not going to be twenty stone, showing yourself a lot of disrespect and abusing your body towards an early grave if you had a good relationship with yourself. So surface level problems always give feedback to what's not working so your surface level problem being extremely overweight is feedback that the relationship with yourself isn't working therefore you've obviously sought out food for for long periods of time so people can then actually hide behind not weighing themselves making Mm -hmm. out that they're progressing from a body front because we like what's really important to understand is you can't just do one without the other like mindset and emotional intelligence and emotional control is so complex that you'll be learning about it for the rest of your life so there needs to become there needs to come, sorry, a bit of synchronicity between body and mind, because one of the ways to help condition your mindset to change is actually by showing up for yourself with your body goals as well and putting the relevant work in, because that's one of the ways that you're actually going to then be able to build trust in yourself. So I'll get some clients to weigh, some clients not to, and when I know I shouldn't be weighing clients from a perspective of um, emotional control, because they've maybe not been putting all the work in that they should, the other metrics that we basically use, are how often have you been able to withhold from body threats this week? So one of the tactics I get pretty much, I would say 50% of my clients to to do, and because of their kind of lower self-worth, and therefore because when your self-worth is low, you don't see your body really as your own, you kind of blame your body for your life, and your body's just a front man. So your body takes the brunt of all of your decisions and looks the way that it does because you've made the decision. But human beings, within that, within, when they're in that victim mentality, like to pass the blame. So it's like, okay, it wasn't me, with was my body. My body doesn't serve me. My body looks shit. My body, um, yeah, yeah that, that's it, that's it. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy because the body does nothing to serve you, supports you every single day. Like, if anything, you're actually being unkind to your body and you need to build a better friendship with that. Because you need to treat yourself like a best friend at the end of the day.
0: Mm.
1: If you were speaking to your best friend the way that you speak to your body, you wouldn't have a best friend anymore. Yeah, Yeah. And that's where a lot of people's relationship with themselves is distorted because they're undervaluing themselves by treating themselves like they would never treat a best friend or want to be treated themselves. So if you don't value someone being horrible to you, why are you being horrible to yourself? Of course you're not going to have a great relationship with yourself or be in the shape that you want to. If you're treating yourself like shit at the side of the road
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah exactly
1: imagine imagine speaking to someone on the street the way that you speak to yourself in private and that person saying all of those things to you in the street you'd want to fucking punch them 100% so why is it appropriate that you're carrying that person around with you every single day every minute of every day taking them to bed with you sitting having dinner with you because that's what you're doing with yourself you're carrying that person around constantly and if that work's not done to become more accepting of yourself then you're not going to be able to then bridge the gap with the body either. You're always going to see it as the enemy. So one of the one of the key metrics that we kind of use is withholding from negative body threats. So we or I sorry should I say, I get my clients to stand in front of a mirror naked or sit in front of a mirror naked for about five minutes every single day. And withhold from negative body threats, which means that if they're looking at their legs going fucking fat as fuck. Right they can then go, you know what, I'm not going to continue with that thought. I'm going to grab it and I'm going to hold it and I'm going to return that thought with compassion. So instead of saying your legs are fat as fuck or whatever it may be, you're a beached whale, like we all know the terminology that people use. Mm. It's almost like, right, yeah, my legs don't look maybe the way I would like them to, but what did they do for me? You know what, I just ran a 10K the other day. I think that's pretty fucking cool. Like I'm leg pressing a hundred kilos, that's pretty goddamn cool. Um, everyone has cellulite, so I know I've got cellulite, but what am I moaning about? There's people with worse out there. There's people with worse cellulite than me. It's almost understanding that self compassion is not a not a um, form of good feeling, but a form of goodwill. Mm everyone talks about turning up negative and, and it's like, right, if you walk down the street and a bird shits on your shoulder, you're not just going to be all happy as Larry about it, you know? Exactly. Um, so it's more about talking to yourself with compassion and saying, you know what, I understand that this doesn't feel great and I'm really uncomfortable right now, but I'm going to speak to myself the way that I would speak to a best friend because I don't deserve to, to speak to myself the way that I usually do. Mm. So you understand that it's painful looking at yourself and feeling uncomfortable with what you see, but it's about rationalizing and understanding that like, imperfection is a shared human experience. If you're seeing and feeling that way about yourself, the likelihood that other people are feeling the exact same way is huge and very, very prominent. Or just returning a bit of um, body image flexibility, like kindness to yourself. So body image flexibility is understanding that you can speak to your body about the good things that it does, like the instrumental things that it does instead of it being treated almost like an ornament instead so we get that so i usually ask them to spend 15 minutes a day naked but five minutes in front of the mirror um journaling so they've to journal every single day and basically they've to write they've got a series of different kind of questions and then probes they have to follow when they journal and if they miss days journaling then that's almost like missing a day's training and eyes. because if you want to build a great physique you need to not miss a day's training but if you want to build a great relationship with yourself you can't miss a day of journaling so that's the same thing so it's like how frequently do you journal this week how has your sleep been so like really looking in and locking in like their morning routine their nighttime routine understanding them both aid sleep culture and understanding like when did you not achieve your bedtime of x when did you not achieve your wake-up time of x why was that what do we need to improve everything is more kind of like habit based rather than than weight based okay even like steps steps is like i said you need to to meet them where they're at they also have to be making sure that they are doing some form of exercise to improve that trust for themselves okay why are you missing your steps like did you achieve your steps but i mean like those kind of simple metrics so it's like journaling sleep movement Mm -hmm. that is still training as well but it's just not weight yeah yeah. it's just but until they get to the point where they are showing more promising signs with themselves we will then introduce the scale maybe like every month Mm at that point they're usually like you know what i really want to push my body goals down because mm-hmm. i feel comfortable to do so and it's like right okay let's weigh you every month then. and then if we may weigh them a month later for example and they've not lost any weight that to me is a metric to say there's still work to do because mm-hmm. if you've not lost weight in a month you're still doing all the things that you've done previously so where are we going wrong and what work do we still have to do and mm-hmm. then we'll analyze that and a bit of a deeper level again
0: yeah, I see. And that's obviously if it is someone who wants to lose weight, right? Because some people, you know, you can, you can have phenomenal results with your body, depending on the person, right? And stay roughly the same weight, right, as well. So it really depends on where the person's at. But yeah, um, mate, that was so valuable. And uh, I just wanted to wrap this up with, what would you... First of all, two real quick questions. Firstly, what would you say to a younger Mark who you just said, you know, 17, 18 years old, tearing stuff up, causing absolute mayhem, almost going to jail, right? Driven by self-hate, because the stuff that Mark was talking about there, by the way, we both experienced on some level this self-hate, right? Being driven by self-hate, going to the gym, punishing your body because you're over it on the weekend, you know, whatever that was, we've been there ourselves, right? So that's what we can relate to it. Um, But yeah, just talk us through what you would say to maybe an 18-year-old Mark, Uh, what advice you would give him
1: I would probably just tell him to do exactly what he's going to do I don't think I would change anything because I don't think I would be where I am today if I did change anything Mm -hmm. and I think everything kind of happens for a reason and I think we can always we can always kind of look back and say you know what I didn't want that to happen or I wish I'd sidestep that but essentially that could have just taken you in a completely different direction in life and impacted your decisions further down the line that have actually benefited you now the only reason to maybe look back and and tell him about different advice would be if my life wasn't as good as it is now. Because clearly I hadn't done the appropriate work if 10 years on, I'm, I'm not the kind of man I would want to be. Yep. So I was sitting here today and I still had a lot of issues. Then I would ultimately go back and tell him that maybe he needs to do a few things differently and he needs to put work in harder in different areas. But I would just tell him just now just to keep going. Like I actually had this conversation with a client the other day. Um, a really good tactic if you're going to give yourself... Um, about grief and you're going to speak to yourself quite negatively is to always keep a, a picture of your yourself around from the ages of six or below. Yeah. So,
0: Love this. so that
1: you don't realistically like no one abuses a child, right? So you're not going to look yeah, at a picture of a child. Exactly. And go, Fucking idiot. Like I can't believe yeah. you. Did Unless that. you're so completely
0: I, twisted. Yeah, exactly. Who does that? Unless
1: you're <laughs> yeah, that.
0: Literally, literally the worst, so, the worst kind of person.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, I always remember like walking into like my mum's or my grand's house or my auntie's house, like anyone that's got like baby pictures of me up in the walls or or anything like that. And I always remember thinking back once I'd heard this tactic. Like every time I see a picture of myself at that age, I just think you've got so much ahead of you. Like it's going to be such a roller coaster journey. But don't do anything different because as hard as times will get they'll just work out fine at the end. Like that's And see if I could go back and just tell a child version of myself that, I would do it. I would just say, you know what? There's going to be some really tough times ahead. Just keep doing exactly what you're supposed to do after each of those tough times and you'll get exactly to where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's the advice I would give.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd be the same as well because, you know, when do you not, whenever, you know, it's the fan, so to speak, when do you not deliver? When do you not thrive and and come through these hardships one way or another? It's just having that belief in yourself that no matter what happens, right? As you say, it comes down to identity and mental resilience. You'll bounce back and you'll actually just become stronger, right? Um, mate, quick one, right? What does a day look like for Mark, right? Because I know the other day you said you do, you've got like a four-hour morning routine. You've made me level up my morning routine. I'm getting up early because I heard you say, you know, instead of getting up at 6 a.m., get up at 5 a.m., you know? I used to do that when I was PTing people. I used to have to, have to get up at 4 5 a.m. Now I'm like, you know, anyway, mate, so I've, I've leveled mine up now um, because I think, you know, managing your energy is the most important thing, right? In the morning, protecting your energy getting yourself in a good state. So what does a day look like for Mark, a normal day?
1: I think we were talking about energy before, which I think is a very, very appropriate point. Everything's about energy management. And the way that I see it is you need to, it's like money. If you want to accumulate more money, you need to speculate a little bit. So You need to spend money to make money. If you want to be more energetic, you need to use more energy to become more energetic. If you just choose to order takeaways instead of, making a nutritious meal, if you choose to sit on Netflix instead of going a walk, if you choose to um, go to a bar instead of going a long walk with a coffee with friends, all of those things cost very little energy, but they give you even less energy back. Like booze gives you a hangover, you feel even worse. After the first episode on Netflix, if you do a marathon after that, you feel even more lethargic after a takeaway you don't really feel energetic you feel quite sluggish like I like to think of it right if I spend more energy I'm going to accumulate more energy so I need to make sure that the tasks that I'm doing on a daily basis are going to provide me with the energy that I need to serve my clients to the best of my potential so that's why my morning routine is is very energy based so to speak so I'll get up usually about half past five quarter to six and I will hydrate always hydrate first thing in the morning um, and then I'll read for 15, 20 minutes or journal. It depends what mood I'm in. These can kind of shift from place to place. Then I'll drive to the gym. I'll train for roughly an hour, an hour and a half. I'll then drive home. I'll then take the dog I'll walk, usually for half an hour, um, listening to an inspiring podcast or an audio book, something like that. Always, when I'm in nature, we'll be listening to something that's going to benefit my growth or the growth of my clients and not be on my phone. I hate being on my phone in nature. And when I then come home, I'll then journal or read the opposite of whatever I did um, earlier in the morning. And then I will shower. I'll then meditate for 10 minutes. I'll then get something to eat and then I'll start my work. And it's it's my routine because it suits me. Might not suit other people, but I honestly think that mornings are uninterrupted time that people miss out on that they could be doing great things during because the stress of the day, once that starts to accumulate, the likelihood of you to then want to spend more energy on yourself drastically lowers drastically um and then from that so usually i'll work anywhere between kind of nine and one half past one then i'll take the dog a walk i'll get something to eat i'll actually chill out and watch something for like 20 minutes i said this to my guys they always slag like me i'm a sucker for master right like, <laughs> yeah, <I'm>, i
0: haven't <laughs> watched that for ages but it's like,
1: oh, MasterChef, mate. i just love like i wish i could be able to cook like them and I just get some some form of pleasure for, from it. And if, if, if that's not on, I'll, I will like look for some cooking show or something to watch like 20 minutes of. It just really soothes me. And then I'll come back to work. I'll work usually again from about half past two, three o'clock through until about six. And then after that, I'll have another nighttime routine where it'll be like a long walk. Usually I like to walk for about an hour, um, whether that be at like half six, seven o'clock. Um, I'll then come back. I'll make sure that then eat. Um, I'm about a late eater. I'll always eat about half eight each at night. Then I'll watch something with my, my fiance for an hour and then I'll come through to my bed and I'll read for about half an hour. Um, and then usually I'll put on a meditation to fall asleep. And that doesn't always happen, it just depends how tired I really am after reading the book. Sometimes I can fall asleep reading the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then that's me. I also put my blue light blockers on at like eight o'clock when I come home from my walk as well um, and yeah. just to minimize blue light exposure. So yeah, that's usually what a day looks like for me. I have really good boundaries with um, clients and social media and stuff. Like the main thing for me is if I don't conserve energy and if I'm always like talking to clients, then I can't be the best version of myself. And I think when people are like in a career, not only just coaches, but anyone listening that has a career that feels like they always have to be on the phone. That's just a story you tell yourself. Like I've never actually been more effective and efficient with getting my clients results by working on them for less time because the time that I do go in, that I have set aside to speak to them, I go in and I'm so ruthless and relentless with, this is what you have to do, this is what the problem is, this is what we need to do moving forward, do you understand and do you agree? And then it's like, yeah, absolutely, implement, check up on them in a couple of days. Whereas before, when you're always on your phone, you'll probably resonate with this when you don't have good boundaries and anyone listening will 100% know this. When you get a text come through and your energy is low because you're always on your phone, you don't even want to open the message. You leave the message for like three hours anyway, so yep. you might as well just have boundaries where you go into your phone and reply every three hours or so so that you can go in with energy and with the, the mindset that you're going to reply then. Because if you've just cleared your messages, then another five come through. The likelihood that you're going to get back to them anyway because your energy is that if you're always in your phone is is really unlikely. And your response is probably going to be shit. It's yeah, probably
0: 100%. percent
1: would going to cut corners. So yeah, definitely. For me, it's about creating those boundaries and just making sure that our, our ethos anyway is in order to be who I need to be for everyone else I must first serve myself so if I'm not uploading that ethos in the program then other people aren't going to do it either so I need to make sure that I'm doing it and I need to make sure that those boundaries are solid so that people understand and they'll say to me now like oh I realise you're only on your phone between this time and this time even whenever I spoke to like new clients who have come on who have maybe like, been speaking to through Instagram and they come on board they're like that's so funny like it's really weird that you just replied to me like at the same times every single day I was like yeah. because I don't want it instead of that and that's yeah. really important for you to like safeguard yourself and, and lower your exposure to things that are going to hinder your growth. Mm,
0: I think literally that is one of the most important things to finish with there, to be honest, because people don't, they're not aware of it or they are aware of it. But as you say, they're lying to themselves, spending hours, maybe, you know, the average person spends three hours a day on social media. And then, you know, some people are saying to you, I, ha- I didn't have time to prep my food or I didn't have time to get my workout And Show me a screen, go into the, uh, you know, the, what is it, whatever it is on the yeah. Apple, show me exactly how many hours. Okay, you spent two hours a day on social media, right? That's so that how many is that? Fourteen hours a week, and you couldn't prep your food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just an example.
1: Actually, no better comeback. than just saying
0: screenshot your screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, <laughs> and then they, no they, you don't hear back from a view for like a week. Then you like chase them. <laughs> <laughs> they just ghost you, do <laughs> they? I just,
1: <don't> <laughs> just say making affirmations, Like I'm still waiting on that screenshot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey Mark, where can people find you, man? What's your uh, handle? The best handles.
1: Uh, probably just Instagram to be honest mate so my Instagram handle is Mark Strathern very Scottish name for anyone that's not Scottish that's listening so Mark Strathern underscore the people's PT if you type in Mark Strathern it's the only person that you're probably going to find anyway so that's where you can find me on Instagram
0: awesome man I'll share that to the show notes anyway hey Mark thanks very much for your time mate that was phenomenal
1: thank you for having me mate appreciate it
0: thanks a lot mate